Our first reading that we have from the book of Kings is one of my favorite Old Testament readings. The reason being this. Elijah's tired. He's worn out. He's ready to just end everything. And God sends an angel just to remind him that all he needs is a snack and a nap. Sometimes that's all we need. We're all basically toddlers at times. But in our gospel here, we're moved from the fact of the need of earthly food to the need of a nourishment on this earth to the need of an eternal nourishment from Jesus Christ himself. Over the past three weeks now, we've been in the sixth chapter of the gospel of John, which is known as the bread of life discourse. If you recall, at the beginning of this chapter, a couple weeks ago now, we began with the story of the multiplication of the loaves, where Christ has two fish and five loaves, and he feeds 5,000. And the people come and they continue to follow him. But they're not following him because they believe in him. They're following him because of these miracles that he performed. They kind of just see Jesus as another circus in town. They want to see the miracles. At the beginning of this chapter, John tells us that we are around the feast of the Passover. And this is significant. So all of this happening in the sixth chapter of John is right before the Passover feast. Now, if you go through all the Gospels, you'll find that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's an, an account of the Last Supper, of the institution of the Eucharist. But in the Gospel of John, all we have at the Last Supper is the washing of the feet. We don't have that same thing we see in the other Gospels. Yet the early church fathers, and indeed throughout all of the church history, the biggest amount of our Eucharistic theology comes from the Gospel of John. And it's in this sixth chapter that we've been reading from. Now the significance that we're around the Passover feast, if we remember Passover is the feast of celebrating the freedom of slavery of the Israelites from the Egyptians. And on that Passover night, they slaughtered a lamb and smeared its blood above the doorpost. And the firstborn child was killed of all the Egyptians. It was the Israelites' children that were spared because of the blood of the lamb. But that that lamb that was killed at the Passover feast, they had to roast its flesh and eat of the flesh of the lamb. And that was an essential part of the Passover feast, to receive this freedom from slavery. So Jesus is giving us this discourse in that context. We're also still in the middle of the Gospel of John, and John begins his Gospel in the 
first chapter when John the Baptist points to Jesus, he says, behold the Lamb of God. And the Jewish audience that heard this from John the Baptist would have known that Lamb of God was not just speaking of him being meek and humble, though that's true. It was first and foremost speaking that Jesus would be a sacrifice, that he would give his life. And so he is the Lamb of God. And his flesh is the flesh that gives us life and freedom. This teaching that the church has, the big word for it is transubstantiation, right? This is the reality that in the celebration of the Eucharist, the elements of bread and wine, the substance becomes the flesh and blood of Jesus himself, while the accidents or the appearance of bread and wine appear. And God allows this appearance as a sort of veil. And the reason for that is mercy. Because, brothers and sisters, if we were to see on this altar what we are really receiving, not one of us would dare approach. Not one of us would dare receive in our hands or in our mouth the flesh of God. Sometimes throughout time, though, in the history of the church, God has allowed this veil to be lifted. And when this happens, these are known as the Eucharistic miracles. And I fear we don't talk about them enough. Sometimes we fear of talking about them because we don't want to be drawn to the extraordinary. I'm going to talk about four different miracles today. These Eucharistic miracles are an instance in which the substance of bread or wine actually becomes visible flesh. And that may sound weird. The first one was in Orvieto, Italy, in the 14th century. There was a bleeding host. What had happened was the priest on the feast of Corpus Christi, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, was celebrating, and he had been having many doubts and even considering leaving being a priest himself. And during his celebration of the Mass, as he elevated the host in the view of the people, the host began to bleed. There's a cloth that's placed on the altar when we celebrate Mass, named, known as the corporal, and the blood of that host came down upon the corporal, and he stained that corporal. And to this day, 600 years later, that corporal is still in Orvieto, Italy. They've had scientists study the stain there, and they found that of the blood, it is that of human origin, 
and they found it to be an AB blood type. I'll come back to that later. Second one I want to talk about is in Poland in 2013. So in the past 20 years, in the 21st century, there's been at least four Eucharistic miracles confirmed by the Vatican. This one in 2013 was in Poland and during mass during the distribution of communion, a host fell on the floor, which happens a lot more often than you may think. And when this does happen, the priest is given a couple options. First is to immediately consume the host. Second is, and this is perhaps if the host was placed on the ton of someone and fell to the ground, to pick up the host and dissolve it in water. In this particular miracle, the priest chose the second. As he put the host in a cup of water to dissolve, he put it into the tabernacle, and he came back a few hours later, and he found a muscle-like tissue in that cup. And so he kept it in safekeeping, and they had a scientific analysis done on it. Now, when these scientific analyses are done, they don't make the scientists aware, aware of the origin of the tissue. They just ask them, with a small sample of it, to tell them about it. And this is to eliminate any bias. Some of the bishops, in many cases, will purposefully find an atheist scientist to look at the sample for them. When they looked at this particular piece of tissue, they found that it were, was to be, once again, of human origin, that the tissue was, came from the most inner part of the human heart. And again, it had an AB blood type. Next was Poland in 2008, a very similar circumstance with the host falling on the floor, dissolving, muscle appearing. And same thing, the priest put it into the tabernacle and he kept it there in safekeeping for three years. And upon opening it three years later, it was emitting the smell of fresh break, baked bread. Also, as it was studied, it was found to be heart tissue, AB blood type. Last one was in Mexico in 2006 very similar to the miracle that happened in Orvieto in the 14th century as a priest was celebrating Mass with religious sisters, the host began to bleed. And again, the studies found an AB blood type. If you search on the internet and you look up Eucharistic miracles, there's dozens of these. And it's as if God, Christ himself, is yelling at us, I really meant this. This is my flesh and blood. 
I know sometimes when I talk about these miracles, people squirm a little bit. But brothers and sisters, those miracles are no different than what happens on this altar every time Mass is celebrated. Flesh and blood is present on that altar. We receive the body and blood of Christ. And when we come forward to receive the body and blood of Christ, we declare, Amen. But sometimes our body language says something more of meh than amen. We believe what this truly is. It's the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's his flesh for the life of the world. As the Jewish people ate the flesh of the lamb, they were freed from slavery. And that was just a foreshadow of what we celebrate here. When we receive the flesh and blood of the Son of God himself, it does give the power to be freed from sin, from the struggles of our lives, from whatever it is that we're fighting. If we indeed are able to receive with faith and allow the flesh and blood of God to permeate our own lives. Jesus told us, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I abide in him.